have lost 50% of hearing out of my right ear. And a few years ago, after realizing I wasn't hearing well, I went to a hearing specialist and, and found out, you know, I went through all the MRI and stuff to see if I had a tumor, but it was just, uh, apparently I've lost about 50% hearing in my right ear. And I think it's because I used to work in a warehouse with loud machinery and loud saws. And if I really had the energy, I'd probably uh, go and want to like sue the company and try to get some, you know, recompense for hearing aid or something, which I'm looking into. Um, but I don't necessarily hear well, and it can be quite annoying because I feel like I'm often telling my daughter, what? Or asking her to repeat herself. And I think my wife especially finds it annoying. Karina is nodding her head. Uh, we're a small enough group you can look at her and see that she's nodding her head in approval today. Um, there is a small advantage of like when I sleep at night, I can kind of tune things out. But besides that, it's just kind of a giant pain. And um, as much as I joke about not hearing Karina, uh, truthfully, there's times in more ways than one I don't hear her. And Karina and I have been together a while. We've been married 14 years. And like any long-term relationships, we've had our ups and our downs. And during those downs, we've taken the time to do the extra work that uh, to help us kind of get through those rough areas. And for us, that's looked like seeing a, a relationship counselor on occasion. And it's one of those counselors that really stuck with me, not so much for his great wisdom or insights, but rather for the simple yet profound practices that he sought to instill within our relationship. As I remember, the big point that he tried to communicate with uh, to us was that people in relationship often don't hear one another. Now, it's not to say we don't audibly hear what is said, you know, come, um, you know, through the ear canal, pass, hit the eardrum, and then, you know, go up to the nerve to our brain, and we, we hear what is said, audibly we hear, but his point was to say that often in relationships, one person doesn't often pay attention to or seek to understand or recognize the other person's feelings or perspectives. So to help us become more aware, the counselor put us through these rather painfully simple, yet really incredibly profound exercises. So basically, instead of telling him all of our perspectives and concerns, we were to tell the other partner using these I statements. So for instance, Karina might have said, I find it frustrating that you leave your socks on the dirty, the dirty socks on the floor. But, and this is the key but, rather than me being able to respond, you know, just to say, you know, just respond back to that statement, I had to first acknowledge my hearing of Karina's statement. So I had to say something like, I hear you when you say I leave my dirty socks on the floor all the time, or that, and that frustrates you. Then I would share that, I don't know, that I leave my dirty socks on the floor because, you know, like, socks have a way of magically disappearing in the laundry, right? And for me, that's an easy way to keep track of them by just keeping them on the floor. Where the process became somewhat comical is that rather than, you know, us just letting us converse back and forth, as, you know, and skipping past the hearing, as conflicted partners are apt to do, he would make a point to walk us step by step back and forth through the formula, almost as if we were children, 
So, so if Karina and I would snap back at each other without acknowledging the hearing, he would direct us to correct our course. Something like, now Karina, say, I hear you when you, are, when you say you are concerned about losing your dirty socks in the laundry. And then she would, she would, what she would then sh say and then share her perspective, like, like, you know, know that our kids play on the floor and she doesn't want them passing out from the stench of my socks. You know, something like that. And again, before I could respond, he would direct me to say, Karina, I hear you when you say you don't want our kids who play on the floor passing out from the stench of my socks. And on and on it would go. It was a rather painfully tedious, yet simplistic exercise. But he was trying to cement within us a foundational principle that of hearing the other person's perspective. I think we can all acknowledge the importance of being heard and the importance of hearing the other person in our relationship. No matter who we are and what kind of relationship it is, whether it's a partner or a spouse, parent or child, or even a, a boss or an employee, I think the success or failure of that relationship often hinges on the other's ability to hear the other. Even on a bigger level, whether it's a company that's trying to sell us something or a politician that's seeking our vote, the success or failure of their endeavor often depends on the hearing of the customer or the constituent. Think back to this last election and Wednesday or Tuesday night or Wednesday or whenever the winning politician gave their celebratory speech, I can imagine in, in probably just about every speech there was something to the effect of, your voice was heard. In business, it's, it's pretty much the same. You know, I had a friend who once worked in the collections department for the company that was then Nextel. And obviously working in a collections department is, is no fun. Has anyone here ever done customer service, any kind of phone customer service? I can tell you it is not a fun job. Uh, and I can only imagine more so working for a collections department because that person in that position hears it all. From angry, you know, anger and rage to emotional sob stories, you know, from people trying to get the company to change, give them some forbearance or mercy on the amount owed. But, but during training, my friend told me that they were encouraged when the caller you know, whatever their complaint, they were encouraged to simply acknowledge the caller's concerns. So if, if, if the caller was angry and upset, the employee was advised to say something like, I hear you when you're angered, or I, I hear that you are upset by such and such practice. Or if the caller was telling him an emotional story about uh, a sickness or illness in their family, you know, impacting their ability to pay, the employee was instructed to, to respond to something back like, I hear you when you say your Aunt Sally was in the hospital and you were, you were, you were missed work for a week and were unable to pay your bills. What's interesting, though, is as simple as that was, my friend told me that in utilizing these active listening practices, callers often calm down and more, what's what really is surprising, my friend, that's, my friend said that often in the end, the callers were content without even having their bill altered. 
They just want to be heard. To truly be heard by someone, whether it be our spouse or our partner, parent or child, even boss or employee, has a way of resonating with us in a deep and lasting way. You know, in the book of Mark, in, this, in the Bible, we see a story of, of being heard that's so deep and so lasting that it stuck with us some 2,000 years later. We're in the fourth week of our Upside Down series, which looks at what Jesus called the kingdom of God and how it turns expectations upside down. So Jesus talked about the kingdom of God as he journeyed from place to place. And it was while he was in the midst of one of these journeys that he had a chance to demonstrate how different things would be if people lived in accordance to God's kingdom. The story goes that Jesus was uh, leaving a town called Jericho and a, a large crowd of people were following him. And as he left, there was a crowd of people on the side of the road and, and, and among this crowd of people, there was a blind baker named Bartimaeus. We have some of the text here on the screen, so let's read it together. They came to Jericho, and as he and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, uh, pause, Bar actually means son, so his son of Timaeus, was a blind beggar and was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and said, Call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Jesus stood still. Oh, then Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, My teacher, let me see again. Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him on the way. So, here we have this blind beggar sitting by the side of the road, hoping for the kindness of a passing stranger. Yet upon hearing from the passing crowd that it was not just some passing stranger, but it was actually Jesus, he began screaming out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, again and again and again. Many of the crowd told him to quiet down, but he persisted all the more loudly, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus hears, and Jesus stops in his tracks, and Jesus calls and says, come here. Apparently the crowd must have gone past Bartimaeus because, you know, someone had to inform Bartimaeus, hey, good news, Jesus is calling for you. Get up and go to him. So he gets up and runs to Jesus. And then Jesus asks him, what can I do for you? And Bartimaeus responds simply, let me see again. Immediately, Bartimaeus can see again and begins following Jesus. On the surface is a rather simplistic healing story. Jesus passes by the man, blind man could be healed, blind man is healed. But I think there's something more than that. I would like us to consider today that the most surprising thing 
that happened on the road from Jericho wasn't the healing of the blind man. Rather, it was the hearing of the blind man. Let me say that again. I think the most surprising thing that happened that day on the road from Jericho wasn't the healing of the blind man. Rather, it was the hearing of the blind man. In other words, the blind man knew that Jesus could heal him. After all, word spread throughout the countryside, and crowds often followed Jesus, hoping to be healed. So that Jesus heals another person really isn't all that surprising. Rather, it's who he chose to heal. Unlike today, where celebrities often can further their fame and celebrity by responding to us little non-celebrities. You know, think of like Taylor Swift when she responds to, uh, you know, some, some high schooler, you know, requesting a prom date with her. In that time, uh, being seen or responding to the social underclass was a major social faux pas to say. So rather than increasing Jesus' social standing, being seen with a blind beggar would have diminished Jesus in the eyes of the social elite. Remember, Bartimaeus was told to essentially be quiet, for he had no business talking to Jesus. But again, as Jesus does, again and again, Jesus turns upside down what was expected and redefines how things should be. And now in the situation with a blind beggar, rather than turning from him and walking away, Jesus hears him. Jesus hears him. Again, I want to say this. I want us to hear this this morning. The most profound thing that happened that day on the road from Jericho wasn't the healing of Bartimaeus. Rather, it was, I think, the hearing of Bartimaeus. At our deepest level, I really believe this, at our deepest level, we want to be heard. And I think that's when we find a friend or a lover or even an employer that truly hears us. We will stick with that person through thick and thin. Because in hearing us, they have recognized us. They have validated us. They have told us that we matter. You know, last week I talked about empathy, about how it's often confused yet different than sympathy. Again, sympathy is feeling sorrow or pity from, for someone, often from a place of safety or superiority. Empathy is about sharing the feelings of another and the emotions of another, usually from a place of solidarity and mutuality. Last week, I committed to be with you from a place of solidarity and mutuality, to practice empathy. But more than me, I want us to know this morning, and I want each of you to know this morning, that God is with us from a place of solidarity and mutuality. Truly, God empathizes with us. The Bible says that Jesus empathizes with us, that Jesus isn't out of touch with reality, but has been through it all. We know that in Jesus we see God most revealed. Therefore, we can be certain that as Jesus is, so is God. 
So this morning, I want you to know that at your deepest level, God hears you, God validates you, God affirms you. When you cry out in frustration, even if not intending to hear, to speak to God, God hears you. Your angers and frustrations, sadness and tears, doubts and fears, God hears you, God affirms you, and God listens to you and affirms back within you. I hear you, I affirm you, and I'm here with you. You know, I think we can have this mindset that like the story that the only thing that matters in times of trouble are, are things that we might call divine interventions, right? Like, like the only thing that happens, or the only thing that matters when something bad happens, that like, the, like, like Bartimaeus, is the only thing that is good is what happens is, is, is if something, what we think of as a divine intervention happens. This morning, I'd like us to consider that in those moments, the profound thing that happens when we're angered or frustrated over an injustice, when we're grieving or in tears about some tragedy, or when we're just fearful about the future and wondering if we're doing the right thing in life. And it's then, in those moments, that God is with you in a profound way. God hears you, God affirms you, God loves you. You know, it's a simple but profound message. It's one I am humbled and honored to share. And that's why I'm so excited about this church. Because I get to share this good news. And more so, we together, we're creating a space where people can come and be affirmed, be reminded on their deepest level that God hears them, God affirms them, God loves them. You know, it's a truth that I want my children to know. It's one of the, the big reasons why I wanted to start this church, so that my children could be affirmed in that way. But more so, I want everyone's children to be affirmed in that way. You know, I bet that, like me, you probably have people in your life who need to hear that affirming message as well. To be reminded or maybe even told for the first time that God hears them, God affirms them, God loves them. You know, the amazing thing is, is by telling people about this place, by inviting them to come be a part of this, we can help them reminded of this truth. You know, for so long, and in so many places, God has been understood as this angry, distant, aloof figure who is unconcerned with the daily trappings of our lives unless, unless we just pester that God with enough prayers and enough petitions. And then, maybe then, God will worry about our lives. I believe the opposite is true. That God is here with us in near and profound ways, beyond what we can comprehend. God is affirming our moments of anger, our moments of sadness, our moment of fear. God is affirming within us that God hears us, God affirms us, and God loves us. Please remember that this morning. Please share that.